0: Hello and welcome to WaveScan, the international DX program from Adventist World Radio. Researched and written in Indianapolis by Dr. Adrian Peterson and produced in the studios of WRMI Shortwave in Okeechobee, Florida. I'm Jeff White. This is edition NWS WS686 for release on Sunday, April 17th, 2022. On Wayscan today, the story of the two shortwave stations known as Radio Sada-e-Kashmir. And we'll have a lot more DX news for you as well. In mid-January of 2003, a new shortwave station called Radio Sada-e-Kashmir, or Voice of Kashmir, hit the airwaves in southern Asia. It was first noted broadcasting in the Kashmiri language at 0230 to 0310 UTC, followed by programming in the Dogri language at 0310 to 0330 UTC on 9890 kHz. Here's Ray Robinson now with the story of the two shortwave stations known as Radio Sada e Kashmir.
1: Thanks, Jeff. In the initial era, the carrier and test tone were heard for about 20 minutes before the actual broadcast began. The programme itself started with a long regional anthem, and the sign-on announcement included station identification and the date of broadcast. This service was beamed to the disputed Kashmir areas of Pakistan and India, and each programme consisted of songs and political talks. Interestingly, more than half a century ago, during the 1965 India-Pakistan conflict, an underground radio station with the same name, Radio Sada-e-Kashmir, began broadcasting on shortwave with propaganda-type programming. Although it claimed to be carrying out its broadcasts from the Kashmir Valley itself, it was later established that those broadcasts were actually aired from elsewhere in Pakistan proper. Now, regarding the subsequent version of Radio Sada i Kashmir, in their second month on air in February 2003, their frequency was moved down to the 49 metre band on 6130 kHz, and a second daily broadcast was noted at 1500 to 1600 UTC, also on the same new frequency. Then during the following month, March 2003, a third daily broadcast was noted at 0730-0830 UTC on the original 31 metre band frequency 9890 kHz. From then onwards there were three daily broadcasts, one in the local morning, one in the afternoon and one in the evening. The same programme was broadcast three times each day, starting at 02.30 UTC and repeated at 0.7.30 UTC and again at 14.30 UTC. Note that Kashmir observes Indian Standard Time, which is UTC plus five and a half hours, making the local times of the broadcasts 6am, 1pm and 8pm. At least until 2008, 6100 kHz was used for the morning and evening broadcasts, though by 2015 that had been changed to 4870 kHz in the tropical 60 meter band. And then around 2017 there was another change in scheduling, with 6030 kHz in use for the morning and evening broadcasts, and 6100 kHz now used again but for the afternoon transmissions. Back at the beginning, in March 2003, there were clear indications that the second version of Radio Sada-e-Kashmir was on the air via a shortwave transmitter operated by AIR, All India Radio. On occasions, AIR programming was inadvertently broadcast on the same frequency, both before and after the Kashmiri broadcasts, and even at times during the Kashmiri broadcast. Talk about a giveaway! It was also an open secret for international radio monitors living in southern Asia that the broadcasts from the second version of Radio Sada'i Kashmir were on the air from New Delhi, as these frequencies were registered by All India Radio in the HFCC website. At first a 100 kilowatt transmitter was used, and subsequently from around 2016 a 250 kilowatt one. On occasions, this Radio Sada-e-Kashmir was noted off-air for short periods of time, due apparently to transmitter problems. However, this station left the air permanently on December 31st last year, 2021, just as silently as it had begun some 18 years earlier. Their final programme ended at 1530 UTC on 6030 kHz. Perhaps it was no coincidence that on that same day, the AIR stations in Srinagar, the capital of Jammu and Kashmir, also ended their shortwave transmissions. It may also be noted that the 6 megahertz frequencies used by the second radio Sada-e-Kashmir were close to the daytime frequency of AIR Srinagar, that is 6110 kilohertz. No contact address was ever given by Radio Sada e Kashmir and there are no known QSLs issued by this station. So that then's the story of the two shortwave stations that operated under the same title Radio Sada E Kashmir, one in nineteen sixty five on the Pakistani side of the border, and the other from two thousand three to twenty twenty one on the Indian side of the border. Back to you, Jeff.
0: Thank you, Ray Robinson at KVOH in Los Angeles. Radio World is a publication about the radio industry, and frequently it has information about shortwave. James Careless is one of the writers for Radio World. He's in Canada and is a shortwave listener himself. He has a very interesting article in a recent edition of Radio World about the BBC World Service's 90 years. And we want to read part of it now on WayScan. Wavescan.
1: Had you been one of a small and optimistic band of radio listeners tuning into London from various parts of the British Empire on a December day in 1932, this is what you would have heard. Assuming, that is, you heard anything at all.
0: This is London Calling. It began in 1932 as the BBC Empire service, making radio broadcasts via globe-girdling shortwave to the far-flung territories ruled under the British crown. Subsequently, what is now the BBC World Service, served as a wartime inspiration and a conduit of coded messages to Nazi-occupied Europe and a trusted voice of news to Soviet-dominated states. Today, it is once again serving war-torn Europe with English news broadcasts targeted at Ukraine and Russia. Created ten years after the BBC itself was founded, the BBC World Service was there to send voices out of the air, which sound like a poem by Keats, but are actually the words of King George V, said Stephen Titherington, senior head of content for BBC World Service English. Since the collapse of the Berlin Wall, it has had a different relevancy to people in terms of sharing what is happening within the world it also a chance for people to add their voice to what needs to be heard. After the Berlin Wall's fall in 1989 and the rise of satellite television and then the web, the BBC World Service struggled with its role before refocusing on local broadcasts and streaming media and cutting back on shortwave, including ending shortwave service to North America in 2001. But despite all these changes, one thing that has been consistent over the years is the BBC's commitment to independent news, said Dr. Kim Andrew Elliott, retired Voice of America audience research analyst, radio host, and now producer-presenter of Shortwave Radiogram, heard on shortwave stations WINB and WRMI. To be sure, the BBC European services had partisan commentaries during World War II, But the news remained factual, mostly. Since World War II, BBC World Service has been the de facto standard for comprehensive and objective news. The BBC World Service's 2001 reinvention came at a time when the Cold War raison d'être for international shortwave radio had long subsided. What had seemed like a very static sense of the world changed and many long-term conflicts ended, and societies changed, to said. But then new complexities emerged, and there was a huge amount of accelerated globalization, and much changed socially as well as politically. At the same time, access to people and their access to the world's media changed immensely. In fact, this retrenchment began soon after the Soviet Union fell in 1991. The World Service stopped shortwave broadcasting to many areas of the world, starting in the early 90s, said Andy Reid, owner of CanadianRadioDirectory.com, co-host of the Two Wallies satire program, and a shortwave listener and expert for 50-plus years. Before then, World Service could be easily heard on any modest shortwave radio. To keep the BBC World Service relevant to global audiences and the UK governments that fund it, the World Service updated its presentation style in 2001 while revamping its programming, choice of target audiences, and distribution platforms. And in 2012, the BBC World Service left Bush House, the iconic London building from which it had broadcast since 1941. We massively increased the range depth and nature of our news programming, creating the 24-7 spine of news bulletins and long-form program like News Hour and NewsDay, said Titherington.
1: This is the BBC World Service, and on this week's assignment... Vladimir Putin's war on Ukraine has sent hundreds of thousands of Russians into exile. Some are fleeing political repression, others economic sanctions. Join me, Tim Hewell, in Russia's neighbor Georgia... What welcome are the
0: exiles getting there?
1: Journeys to the Heart of a Story Assignment, Thursday at 19 GMT
0: But of course the audience expect more than news and so we have grown a wide range of programs that include music, debate, food and many more programs that look at how we live, how things work and how we can learn about things. Our programs are much more conversational And we have many more series, such as The Inquiry, The Assassination, and A Wish for Afghanistan, which we also release as podcasts, that tell a story over time, so we can really explain the intricacies and the drama of world events. In terms of target audiences, the UK government's shift away from Cold War priorities, combined with funding cuts, compelled the BBC World Service to temporarily reduce its non-English programming. But I'm glad to say we are now back to more than 40, as of late 2021. These include a wide range of African and Indian languages, including Amharic, Gujarati, Igbo, Korean, Marathi, Pidgin, Punjabi, Serbian, Telugu, Tigrinya, and Yoruba. So there are less European languages than 20 years ago, but important new languages for us, which has brought strong audiences and new and exciting people to work with. This being said, the BBC World Service has not restored Ukrainian or Russian language broadcasts. Finally, the advent of the web, combined with government funding cuts, motivated the BBC World Service to add new distribution channels alongside Costlier Shortwave to get its content to listeners. One major change has been the retransmission of BBC World Service programming by various means. We now have built up 200 FM relays, which are a great way of making sure our entire output is heard in quality, said Titherington. And more people are listening via the Internet. We have our own app, which has had more than a million downloads. And listening via streaming or DAB has been a major growth area in developed markets like Europe. To circumvent Russian online censorship, the BBC World Service is encouraging listeners to use VPNs and tour browsers, which access the dark web. In North America, BBC World Service has been able to tap into the substantial audiences to U.S. public broadcasters, said Kim Andrew Elliott. He noted that in early 2021, Nielsen audio ratings for Chicago showed public radio station WBEZ number one Monday through Friday, 6 to 10 a.m., WBEZ's content during that time slot is NPR's Morning Edition and BBC's news Hour. In the car, BBC World Service is available to Sirius XM satellite radio subscribers. A benefit for the BBC is that placement on U.S. public radio stations is a revenue source. Those stations all pay for BBC World Service content, he added. There was no way for BBC to monetize shortwave except maybe through advertising, which would be a difficult business plan, given the paucity of precise audience data on the U.S. shortwave audience. The payoff? Our audiences have grown since the end of the Cold War, Titherington said. There's also a new audience listening on air and online, a young audience who have grown in very different times, and there are huge amounts of new stories that people want to know about and share in new ways. Part of an article there about 90 years of the BBC by James Careless in the publication Radio World.
1: Next today, it's Hard Talk, here on the BBC World Service, the world's radio station. BBC News, hello, I'm Gareth Barlow. Officials in South Africa have declared a state of disaster after floods in the eastern province of KwaZulu-Natal.
0: Most of the new shortwave transmissions to Ukraine and Russia since the war began are coming from the west going east. However, at least one new broadcast is going from east to west. Lauren Libby, the CEO of TWR International, tells us that on April 14th, their station KTWR in Guam began broadcasting to Ukraine with 250 kilowatts. George Ross, a TWR frequency manager, told us that the frequency is 15200 kHz, and the broadcast is in the Ukrainian language daily from 1600 to 1700 UTC. George says they plan to add a Russian broadcast from Guam within the next few weeks, at an additional frequency and time that has not been decided yet. In-person gatherings and meetings are beginning to take place again after the pandemic. In the case of the National Association of Shortwave Broadcasters, NASB, it meant no annual meeting in 2020 or 2021. But the 2022 NASB annual meeting will take place in person in Washington, D.C., on July 14th to 16th, that's Thursday through Saturday. The 2022 annual meeting will be especially interesting for shortwave listeners, as it will take place at the headquarters of Radio Free Asia, part of the U.S. Agency for Global Media, USAGM, just like the Voice of America, Radio Free Europe, Radio Liberty, Radio Marti, etc. Radio Free Asia has a very impressive facility on M Street in downtown Washington, and meeting participants will have a chance to tour the building and meet broadcasters who produce programs beamed to China and other parts of Asia. RFA has a very nice meeting room where the NESB meeting will take place on Thursday afternoon, July 13th, all day on Friday and on Saturday morning. The meeting will start at noon on Thursday so that some people can fly into D.C. on Thursday morning and arrive in time for the opening. RFA is a short taxi or metro ride from Ronald Reagan National Airport. The NASB meeting will start with tours of Radio Free Asia. Then the rest of Thursday afternoon and all day Friday will consist of talks and presentations about various subjects related to shortwave radio that will be of interest to broadcasters and listeners alike. RFA personnel will talk about their programming and technical matters as well. We expect to have representatives from USAGM and from the FCC, which regulates privately owned shortwave stations in the United States. Other talks will focus on the Shortwaves for Freedom project to transmit accurate news and information to listeners in Ukraine, Russia, and Eastern Europe. There will be updates on DRM broadcasting from KTWR and other stations. Christopher Rumbaugh of DRM North America will present an affordable receiver petting zoo where folks will be able to touch and test some of the latest shortwave receivers on the market. Other speakers at NESB will be Kim Elliott, producer of Shortwave Radiogram, Brady Murray and Jerry Plummer of WWCR, Ray Robinson of KVOH, Andy Baker of KNLS and Madagascar World Voice, Dr. Dal Chow of Adventist World Radio, Glenn Tapley of WEWN, and Jerome Irigoyen of Telediffusion de France, who will talk about TDF's DRMcast project. On Thursday night, there will be a group dinner at an iconic Washington, D.C. restaurant, reflecting the beauty and history of the United States. There is no charge to attend the NASB annual meeting, and the Thursday dinner and Friday lunch will even be included at no charge. Attendees only need to pay their own travel and lodging expenses. The group has a special rate at the Hotel St. Gregory, located right next door to RFA, so there's no need to rent a car. You can find full details about the NESB 2022 annual meeting on the NESB webpage, www.shortwave.org and then just click on Annual Meeting Info. The dates again, July 14th through 16th in Washington, D.C. That webpage again, www.shortwave.org, and then click on Annual Meeting. I want to take a look now at some of the reception reports that we have received here at WaveScan recently. Thank you very much to Richard Bradley in Methuen, Massachusetts. He heard wave scan at 2305 UTC on 5850 kHz from Okeechobee. Then we have Bill Harms, and I'm sorry, I don't have his location. I think he's in the United States somewhere, who sent us an email saying this afternoon, I had the pleasure of picking up your Wavescan program via WRMI. The signal was good and readable. This particular Wavescan was touching with the tribute to Violet Peterson. I also thoroughly enjoyed the presentation about the VOA medium wave site at Poro Point, Philippines. When I lived in Korea in the 1970s and again in the 1990s, I would listen to this outlet on the 1140 and 1143 kilohertz. Well, he heard scan at 1930 UTC on 15770 kilohertz. The Sinpo 45444. Thank you, Bill. On to Dejan Berndt now in Erlangen in Bavaria in Germany, who picked us up at midnight 30 UTC on 7780 kHz. That has now changed, by the way, to 7730. Uh, that's from Okeechobee with a Sinpo 44444. says at 100 UTC, he heard wave scan. And we have a nice picture here of his equipment. He uses different uh, receivers such as Yesu FRG7. Grundig Satellite 700, and a Texan PL-660. The antenna that you see in the background is a magnetic loop antenna, which I've built in January 2019. It's the first antenna I've built, but it works quite well. I also have a long wire antenna with a length of 7 meters. Depending on the station, I either use the long wire, the loop antenna, or the built-in telescopic antenna. Then he says, I live in Tenenlo, which is a smaller village and part of the city of Erlangen. Tenenlo has around 4,500 inhabitants and is located in northern Bavaria of Germany. Dejan Berndt says, I'm a shortwave radio enthusiast and DXer. I'm 17 years old and started to listen to AM shortwave radio in November of 2018. I'm simply fascinated by the different stations that I could hear from all over the world. What fascinated me the most was the fact that I could receive signals thousands of kilometers away just with a small radio. In December 2018, I also very much became interested in collecting QSL cards, started to send reception reports to various broadcasters. So far, I've received about 70 QSL cards from different stations. Well, thank you very much. Dejan Berndt in Erlangen, Germany. Then we have an email from Lee Mitchell. And Lee says, I heard wave scan at 0230 to 0300 UTC on 5800 kilohertz. Uh, I'm in Rock Hill, South Carolina. I used a Texan PL330 with a 30 foot dipole antenna I made myself. SIMPO was 54554. Very good signal. Uh, Normally listen to Wayscan as a podcast. I really love your show and look forward to listening to each new episode. Thank you, Lee Mitchell. Then an email from uh, Zach Alvarez. He is in Das Marinas, Cavite, in the Philippines. You heard Wayscan at 1530 UTC on 15330 kHz via KSDA in Agat, Guam. Thank you, uh, Zach. John Zachary Alvarez in the Philippines. Anatoly Klepov is the uh, Russian DX League chairman. He heard us from Moscow in Russia on, uh, let's see, 9510 kHz the 1100 to 1129 UTC, 45444 SINPO. And if I remember correctly, 9510 is uh, the frequency of uh, IRRS, the Italian radio relay service. Interesting letter here from Mei Lin. He is in... Um, Sichuan province in China, in Lishan City, heard wave scan at 0230 to 0300 UTC on 7780 kHz from Okeechobee. He was using an SDR in the Netherlands with the Sinpo code of 55555. Excellent reception. Thank you, May, and uh, very interesting stamps on your letter here uh, showing uh, some landscapes in different parts of China. Now, Paul Gager in Vienna, uh, Vienna, Austria, heard us on 7780 kHz. Again, that one is switched now to 7730 at 2100 UTC. That's uh, from uh, Okeechobee. And he heard us also on 15770 kHz at 1300 UTC. Different transmissions of wave scan from WRMI. Then we have finally a letter here from Takuji Sakara. He is in Tokyo, Japan, and heard wave scan over WRMI at nine three nine five kilohertz at O one hundred UTC via an SDR receiver at Highland Falls, New York. Says thank you for your strong signal. All right, thank you very much to Kuji Sahara from um, Tokyo, Japan. on WaveScan today with music from Brazil. This is do Sartal, a traditional piece of Brazilian music about the countryside. Thanks for listening to WaveScan, the international DX program from Adventist World Radio, researched and written in Indianapolis by Adrian Peterson. Next week, 100 years of radio in Manitoba, Canada, and our Australian DX report. Several QSL cards are available. Send your AWR and KSDA reception reports for scan to the AWR address in Bangkok, Thailand, and also to the station your radio is tuned to, WRMI or WWCR or KVOH or Voice of Hope Africa, or to IRRS Italy, or to the AWR relay stations that carry scan. Remember, too, you can send a reception report to the DX reporters when their segment is on the air. Here in the program, they will also verify with their own very colorful QSL card. Return postage and an address label are always appreciated. The email address for AWR QSLs is qsl at awr.org. The postal address for AWR QSL cards is Adventist World Radio, P.O. Box 234. Prakanong, that's spelled P-R-A-K-A-N-O-N-G, Bangkok, one zero, one one zero, Thailand. Again, Adventist World Radio, PO Box two three four, Prakanong, Bangkok, one zero, one one zero, Thailand, and the email address for other correspondents to Wayscan, not reception reports is wavescan at awr.org. I'm Jeff White at WRMI in Okeechobee, Florida, USA. Till next week, good listening, everyone.